Welcome to Career Buzz, the unique radio conversation that empowers lives, enriches careers, and energizes organizations. Today on your show, Art and Engineering. Hi, I'm Mark Franklin, practice leader of a team of professional career counselors at CareerCycles.com and co-founder of One Life Tools. I'm pleased to be your host today on Career Buzz. Thanks for tuning in this morning. Four years ago, Andrew Wang left an engineering and business career to care for his school-aged children and pursue his lifelong dream of becoming an artist. He's influenced by the Renaissance period where artists were engineers and engineers were artists. Andrew studied mechanical engineering first at the University of Waterloo, then as a grad student at MIT, before studying art at the Toronto School of Art. As a former engineer for a materials company, Andrew takes care in his arts materials choices, considering both the technical and the symbolic. I interviewed Andrew Wang by Zoom in front of a live audience in the engineering careers course I teach to grad students at the University of Toronto. Andrew Wang, welcome to Career Buzz. So glad you could join us here today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What do you like about your career now? Well, now, uh, like, I'm an artist. I get to pursue my dream of being an artist. I'm a uh, homemaker, and so I get to spend a lot of time with my kids. So uh, the pressure of making money is off for me right now. It's, it's uh, on my partner, my wife. Uh, but uh, I really get to uh, take each day how I like it. Um, with the art, it's something completely new for me. And, uh, you know, trying to build an art career after a long engineering and business careers is, is new. It's a challenge. It's a whole different world. Um, and I get to interact with lots of different type of people. And, uh, and I find that I interact with people on a different level now. Uh, as a business person, engineer, you kind of interact at a certain professionalism. I find that being as an artist, we get down into the human human stories uh, uh, rather quickly. So it's, it's interesting. And do you want to just say a little bit about your art career? Like, what are you doing? Is it visual art, sculpture? Like, what and are you exhibiting? How is the career unfolding? Yeah, sure. So I left uh, my, my regular engineering business career about four years ago. I went to art school. Uh, it took about a year and a half of, uh, I guess, finishing a, uh, what I thought would be an equivalent of an arts degree. And I started in sculpture. I started doing a, uh, a series of uh, strong women's sculptures. Uh, if you ever want to see my art, you can go to uh, Andrew Wang Art uh, as, uh, on Instagram if you want to actually look at it. But uh, lately, I've been uh, uh, doing what I call origami assemblage, which is I've been painting uh, large canvases uh, by... Uh, putting together uh, origami cranes, and it's a it's uh, you know origami is a Japanese and now international art form, and uh, it's been done often by putting the uh, origami cranes on strings. But I've kind of done something a little unique. I've kind of put them on a canvas or a, a board, and I've made large uh, large pieces uh, of that. And uh, I started doing that about uh, I, about the start of COVID. Um, and it was the art form that I could really do during COVID because I didn't have to go to a sculpture studio. And uh, yeah, and this really took off. As soon as I, start, I started making this, uh, like literally six hours after posting on Instagram, on Facebook, uh, someone, uh, an art collector contacted me for a commission. And 
you know, after I knew how to sell, I didn't know how to, you know, do art and do commissions, but I knew how to sell for my career. So I, you know, I did, did the thing I put together the proposal did the discovery call and uh, yeah, for my first piece of art, uh, including the shipping, it was like over $10,000. So it was a, it was a good first sale for art. And then, uh, and then things started rolling. Um, uh, as an artist who's new, it's really hard to get into galleries, really hard to get into uh, shows. And with my sculptures, I did struggle, you know, like, like many artists do. Um, uh, if you click on the strong woman, you can see the, the, the sculptures as well. Um, it's a more of a uh, kind of, I was really started off as a realistic figurative artist. Um, but as soon as I got into the origami, I started putting that in front of people. The galleries took it. Um, the, uh, I got started getting to a lot of shows. And uh, this morning, I met with two people who are both interested in uh, doing large commissions, large scale commissions. And, you know, now it's getting excited. People are connected. They're saying, I can connect you with the art collectors at the banks. I can connect you with the galleries in Toronto, in New York. So uh, now it's starting to uh, pick up some steam. So it's, it's really quite uh, interesting now. Great. Very impressive that it's working out so well so early. What, what you. would you say the key skills to be successful as an artist in the world that we live in? What are those top few skills? Well, I mean, you need to communicate visually. And like we live in a very visual world right now. You, you think of the mediums that we're using, uh, like with Instagram and, 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 and others. But uh, I, th I think right now you can really get popular and really build a following without going the traditional route of, um, you know, meeting the right people or getting to the right galleries. You know, if you're really good at things like digital marketing, um, social media, then, uh, you know, you can, you know, that's a really powerful tool to get your out uh, your art out there. And if it's uh, visually appealing and you know how to, you know, get it to trend and get it to rank, then yeah, that, that'll definitely help you a lot. My guest today is Andrew Wang. He's a visual artist, fine artist. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. Thanks for listening. Um, Andrew, you, you didn't start your career in art. So if we could step back, I know you had an earlier career in engineering and we're actually conducting this interview in the context of an engineering class at the University of Toronto. So we're pretty interested in the story that led you through this. Um, so how far back does your, does your interest in engineering go? And, and maybe you can kind of tell us that maybe there's a parallel story there with the interest in art as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, from a very young age, I, I, I loved both. I think by uh, at the time I was four or five, uh, I, I really loved drawing. And uh, I think by the time I was in grade five or six, I knew I wanted to be an aerospace engineer. And uh, I had a lot of uncles who were engineers and they kind of uh, acted as role models. And, you know, in a Chinese Canadian family, you didn't even think about art as a, uh, as a career. Uh, my parents actually encouraged, encouraged art. It was uh, something that was, uh, uh, you know, good to pursue. But uh, I guess growing up in kind of our family, I thought, okay, engineering is great. I do love making things. I love working with my hands, which, you know, plays hand in hand with art. So I wanted to be an engineer um, and eventually got into mechanical engineering at uh, Waterloo. So it looks like you um, went straight from that mechanical engineering degree into a master's right away. Is that true? That That's right. 
at yeah. MIT. So what, what led you then to do that master's right away? Oh boy. Um, so that master's, I was really inspired by some of the professors. They uh, had, I had been doing well uh, at, uh, in, in my undergrad in terms of the coursework. So one of the professors took me aside and uh, gave me some counseling about potentially doing a master's project with him. Um, and it, it seemed quite interesting. I wasn't sure what I was going to do after school. Um, the, getting further education was definitely something that was on one of my uh, bucket lists. And uh, he was a really selfless professor. He gave me the advice, okay, I definitely apply with me, but uh, your marks are good enough. You should go apply to the big US schools uh, like MIT and Stanford. Um, and, uh, and I did, and I got in and those schools are, you know, are, are, are also wonderful and I got funding. So, you know, it was, uh, it was a great opportunity that I had to jump at. And what were the career ideas as you were finishing that master's degree? What were you thinking the next step might be? Well, definitely when I got into my master's and, and during my master's, that definitely changed a lot because, uh, you know, I thought I was going to go down to MIT and get into, some really cool kind of manufacturing or sorry, really cool, like uh, artificial intelligence or digital printing. But I got into something different. I got into uh, it was lean manufacturing, which was a lot more kind of related to business, right? Uh, it was about how the Toyota production system really rev revolutionized how we did manufacturing and, uh, you know, how that applied to different industries. And, and my thesis was... Uh, how it applied to the aerospace industry. So it really changed my focus from a guy who was really interested in you know, robotics, uh, you know, mechatronics to uh, much more of a business. Uh, it really kind of broadened my scope looking at the systems as a whole. So it was, it did something much different than I had expected it to. And I thought I was gonna go deep. It actually brought me abroad, uh, ironically. Nice. So, so a master's degree can change your perspective. Definitely. Right. And so what happened when you graduated? What was the first job? So uh, I, I decided to come back to Toronto uh, for more personal reasons for kind of friends and family. I, at the time, this was 1999, we were having the brain drain. Everyone was going down to the U.S., right? So it was a funny thing for me to come back to Toronto and... Uh, at the time, I found mechanical engineering jobs a little bit limited, or maybe it was the mechanical engineering jobs that were exciting seemed limited. Um, you know, we don't have uh, that many centers where we're designing, you know, cars or airplanes and, and such, right? Toronto is a, you know, a very uh, kind of more kind of financial uh, services sector, right? Uh, nowadays, technology is very strong here, both in the medical and, and IT and, and several of those areas. It wasn't as, the, uh, um, that wasn't really my field though. But uh, given that I had gone through this master's where I kind of opened myself up to the uh, kind of business world, um, one of the careers, you know, a lot of people were talking about was uh, uh, business consulting and management consulting. So I definitely took a look at that. I really didn't know what it was about or what they were doing there but it seemed very exciting. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I, I did the deep dive research on it, uh, applied and uh, got into one of the uh, uh, firms there. It was called Boston Consulting Group. And uh, that's really where I started my career. 
So, you know, that first job is often so important. Were there, were there other firms that you were talking to, you know, if you could just say a little bit about that job search and how well it went, you know, was BCG the one place that you applied to and got in, or did you apply broadly to all the other consulting firms and, and how did that process go? Yeah, I definitely applied to a bunch of the different consulting firms. I did get interviews in, in uh, engineering jobs. Um, some of them were just kind of not that exciting. You know, these were small tier three uh, auto manufacturing suppliers where I'd be designing a, a seat bracket or something like that. So, you know, for me, uh, it wasn't that exciting. Um, I think the one that was kind of interesting was JDS Uniphase. They were uh, out in Ottawa. They were a really rocketing company back then. Um, you know, and maybe RIM, RIM Research in Motion at the time would have been a company that I would have been uh, keen to chase after as well. So you join uh, BCG. It looks like you stayed there for a couple of years. So, right. you know, how was that for you and, and what led to your thinking about the change after a couple of years? Yeah, I mean, BCG was, was really quite an experience. Uh, I literally hadn't taken a business course, like maybe since middle school. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was, I was kind of in there with people who did, uh, you know, MBAs from Harvard, uh, basically, right, with, with work experience. So it was definitely a, a steep learning curve. Um, it was an environment, they call, they call it feast or famine, okay, in consulting. So when things are good, they're really good. When I arrived, it was the, the tech, you know, the dot-com boom, and uh, BCG Toronto was really leading the charge on a global scale. And, I mean, we were taking trips to Bermuda. Uh, two weeks after I arrived, I got a bonus just because the firm was making so much money, Right. And uh, you get to do a lot of interesting projects. Uh, that's for sure. Um, a lot of people criticize consulting as, OK, you're doing uh, business transformation. You're doing post-merger integration. Bottom line, that means firing people, which definitely those companies do that. Um, I was lucky enough. I got uh, uh, exposed to projects where I was looking for new business opportunities for some of these uh, large companies and looking at their, sometimes their, their distribution uh, systems. And uh, we got to do some pretty interesting work there. But uh, along with that feast, there's a famine. So when the, uh, the, the market crashed, right, the BCG, you know, they, Toronto, we let over half of the staff go, I think. And I was, I was a new guy. So I was definitely let go at that time. Uh -huh, so that explains the two years. <laughs> That's right, two years. Sometimes you see people leave consulting. It's just too much. They're burnt out. They got their two years and they're willing to go. And other times, you know, sometimes you make a career choice and sometimes your organization makes a career choice for you. Yeah, and really, I was really just getting going. I was uh, kind of fi finally finding my groove. Clients were asking for me uh, personally and, you know, I was getting comfortable, but there was a change and, you know, um, you know, those same Harvard MBAs are out on the street with me as well. So, so what, what did happen next? So uh, I, you know, I looked around. Um, uh, I was lucky enough at that time, which is kind of crazy. I got into venture capital. Okay. A VC firm, a boutique VC firm in Toronto at a pretty crazy time. Because when you think about it, the VCs, you know, they had just raised all this money that, you know, invested in a lot of those VCs were going out of business or, or on funds that were really losing a lot of money. So uh, my thought process there was, well, in the, in the world of business, I seem to like uh, 
new technology. I seem to like innovation. And it seemed like venture capital would be an interesting place where uh, you'd get exposed to all these uh, new companies. And that was really quite interesting. Um, you know, I got to meet, you know, every week I got to read 20 business plans, maybe meet a dozen companies. Um, and at the end, I think my role uh, was often when we made an investment in a company, sure, there was part of the due diligence, but uh, I would be placed within the company to, you know, be the jack of all trades. Sometimes I wore a marketing hat. Sometimes I did a uh, project management, um, you know, led the IT team. So I got to do a lot of different things in, in companies that were kind of size one to 10 uh, kind of range. So uh, did you feel at the time you were still using some of the, the broad skill set from engineering? Because you were starting to now move into business and consulting and venture capital, not traditional engineering jobs and careers. Yeah, I mean, in, in consulting, I didn't use much of the engineering. You know, the, the strong math background definitely helped. Uh, being able to put together models um, uh, certainly helped. Um, and then in the venture capital area, it came in handy in a few instances. Um, you know, one of the things I want to do as part of being in a venture capital firm, because I came in without the money, you're either the guy with the money in a VC firm or you're the guy working for the guy with the money, right? So, um, you know, the goal is to, to, to find a company that's worth investing it, join it, you know, hopefully ride it to the moon and then, uh, and then cash out when it IPOs. That's the kind of dream when you, when you uh, join one of these companies. Um, and uh, I guess one of the companies I did due diligence on was uh, Integran. Um, it's, it was a company that was an uh, uh, innovator in the material science world. So it was doing nanomaterials uh, using electrodeposition. And that was a company that the business people could not seem to wrap their heads around. But with an engineering background, I really uh, you know, could dive deep. I, I actually was the one who did the due diligence on that company. And for the next year and a half, I just kept on bugging them. All right, this is the company. Uh, put, put me in that company, which they eventually did. Nice. My guest today is Andrew Wang. He's a fine artist working in origami assemblage and sculpture with an engineering and business background. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, here on Career Buzz. So, Andrew, it looked like you spent a good fair amount of time at, at Integra. So, so you were there placed as part of your job with Mosaic Capital Partners, how, then what was the transition to become an employee of that company? Yeah, I think I was, I guess you'd call seconded to uh, Integram for about, uh, I think it was kind of like about nine months for a specific project uh, that was dealing in the automotive sector. And uh, when that uh, time kind of ended, uh, you know, we talked about whether uh, I could uh, actually joined the company as an employee. And I actually asked the uh, partners of the venture capital is, okay, this is the company where I want to make a score. Um, I want to put some money in and, uh, and they, they allowed me to buy a small stake in the company. And uh, I said, look, I'm dedicated. I want to join this company. I think they took me on um, to lead product development um, because most of their uh, technologies were at the R&D stage. They're trying to move the, the, the work from the R&D to products. And that was really what kind of my role that I took so people, over. People have careers inside companies and it looks like you did, you spent a, a 
over a decade there. How did your career unfold? How did the the changes in roles happen while you were there? Yeah, it it definitely in the materials world in in, uh, manufacturing, you know, it's it would took a lot longer than any of us had imagined, right? When you think of business today, things are moving at such a quick pace, right? Um, When it comes down to manufacturing, that's right out the real beginning of the supply chain, okay, for products, right? Let's say what semiconductor you're using or um, what kind of material you're using in a a jet. Well, you're refining products at the end very quickly and rapidly, but what material you're starting with was way back, you know, it was probably determined decades ago, right? (laughs) Unfortunately, so it takes quite a long time. To, to institute a change uh, at a material level, okay? So we, we tried a lot of different things. We uh, tried, uh, you know, making a go of it in the sporting goods industry, you know, because that's a consumer product. We thought we could, uh, 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 you know, get products in faster. We, we made some kind of reasonable successes. Um, uh, and the business model was always changing. Like, what were we? Were we at a... The nanotechnology was a process, right? So it's, it had to be something that someone implemented, okay? So not only did you have to get an engineer at a company to go to bat to say, yes, I want to take this material and make a new product and design it from scratch and manufacture it with a new process. Uh, you'd have to eventually transfer that technology into a company uh, to make it, right? So throughout those 10 years, I think uh, many of the first years was trying to find the applications and probably the uh, second half, we had now gotten into applications. It was more about the supply chain. And I think probably one of the, the highlights of my career on that side was when we, we got our uh, technology into, uh, into uh, I don't know if you know the, the te- uh, company Foxconn. They, they do a lot of work for Apple and, and the consumer electronics field. Uh, it's the biggest factory in the world. It's, it's located in Shenzhen, uh, China. And uh, we were able to do the license deal and, and put the technology into that factory. Nice. must have been a good feeling to finally get that win. Yeah, that was a, that was a really good win. That's probably the uh, kind of what capped off my career at that Integram. So it, it looks like it ran its course, though. It had a beginning, a middle, and an end. What led to your, to your leaving? Um, well, uh, I think things were going good, actually. I had been promoted from uh, VP of product development to uh, chief operating officer. So I was the number two at that company, and I was taking on more of a uh, managed role. And uh, uh, it was really things on the personal life side. Uh, my kids, uh, I had two kids at the time, um, and with myself working uh, uh, you know, that job, which was quite busy, and I had a lot of travel. Uh, my wife was a physician, uh, so we had a full-time nanny, right? Uh, we knew the nanny wasn't coming back, but both of the kids were just about to go into school, right? So I, I, I looked at it and I said, well, um, you know, I had always wanted to go and do art. Uh, while I was at BCG, I actually started a part-time art degree at the Toronto School of Art, but kind of put that on hold when, when things got busy with family and work. And my dream was to retire and become an artist uh, uh, when, when it was all said and done. So I looked at the opportunity. Well, now's a chance I could take over the nanny job. Uh, since the kids are at school, then I could actually have some time and pursue art and you know do those two things. 
and I had reflected. Certainly, I you know I looked at our financial you know scenario. Um, I looked at my responsibilities as a leader of that firm, and uh, you know at the end of the day, I, I, I talked to uh, my, my boss, the CEO, and, and the you know the partners uh, who were my you know uh, old partners, and said, well, uh, my role, I think the company is mature enough that I could uh, engineer myself out of that role. Right uh, of COO, uh, we were we were at a size where we didn't necessarily need that role, um, and I could train the staff to take over the other aspects, and take a graceful exit, <laughs> and uh, and then pursue uh, the art and then be with the kids. Wow, I've heard a lot of career stories, Andrew. I haven't heard the um, COO to nanny career <laughs> before. That's uh, right. really a fabulous story. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up to our uh, audience for for a Q and A in a moment. But you know, you you shared with us some real interesting twists and turns in your career story. You know, and, and now thinking about people who are listening, not only in the room here, but we could have listeners on the radio show on the podcast, especially for early career engineers and others. What 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 have you learned from your career and your transitions that you could share with others? as a kind of lesson learned that you might offer as uh, personal advice? Oh, uh, yes. Um, you know, I think it's important to pursue your passions, what you're good at, what you like. I think when you bring passion to the table and you're really excited about your work, you know, I was really excited uh, when I joined Intergram, right? I was bugging my partners like, this is the company I want to be in. Let me put the money down. I want to be part of it. I want to make a bet. I think when you bring that kind of passion to your work, right, then, you know, I think good things will happen. I, th I think you'll be successful and, you know, whatever success uh, is defined by you, I think you'll, you know, hopefully get to where you want to be. And uh, the flip side of that is, you know, um, you know, pursue your personal passions. I think that's another important part of it. I think, uh, especially in engineering, uh, we are really siloed into uh, a specialization of skills and we don't necessarily get a broader education. So whether you're into art, you're into history, uh, you know, philosophy, I think it's important to pursue those uh, aspects of learning uh, to really help develop yourself, uh, you know, because sometimes, and, you know, we, this happens is people, you know, don't have anywhere to go to once they're done their careers. They're like, now what? Okay. I, I had a hundred things I could have wanted to do uh, after my career, even a career that I loved. And I hope that you all uh, have that as well, that, uh, you know, I hope you enjoy your careers and, and you go for it. But I hope that you develop yourself as a whole person and have other pursuits that you can, uh, uh, pursue, you know, uh, outside of work as well. Yeah, no, gr great advice, especially, you know, you're living that those personal passions and the art, to, you know, run a nice thread through this other professional career that you had that you shared with us in your engineering role. You're listening to Career Buzz on CIUT 89.5 FM in Toronto and worldwide at CIUT.FM. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin, and before continuing on with today's show, I want to let listeners know about the Career Buzz podcast episodes of Inspiring Career Stories. Go to careercycles.com and click podcast. 
or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and do leave us a review. Have a listen to the October 13th Career Buzz show with Tom Brunskill, co-founder and CEO of Forage. And also on that show, Michael Juhas, lead tech recruiter at Geek Recruiters for some IT recruiting tips. The October 4th episode, listen to Mikhail Burke and Toronto woodworker Jess Okonski of This Lady Wood. Again, go to careercycles.com, click podcast or subscribe to the podcast Career Buzz on your podcast app. Did you know you can find Career Buzz on Facebook? We have links to past episodes, pictures and more. Go to Facebook and look up Career Buzz Show, Career Buzz Show, all one word. Coming up on Wednesday, November 10th, catch Career Buzz host Nicole Hamilton's show. Then on Wednesday, November 17th, it's our Ride the Airwaves fundraising show, but no need to wait until then. You can donate to CIUT and Career Buzz right now. Go to CIUT.fm and in the gifting and survey question, be sure to name Career Buzz as your favorite show. Stay tuned as I continue my interview with Andrew Wang. Um, so we have a uh, we have a live audience here in um, Bain twenty one fifty five. So let me open it up to comments and questions for uh, for Andrew based on what you guys heard. Mike, yeah, go ahead. yeah. Okay. So uh, thanks, Andrew, for sharing your story. Um, it's really interesting and definitely not one I've heard um, before either. Um, and when you lay it out, it all seems you know the steps make sense as you go from one to the other. And even your most recent transition, it seems like you were um, pretty confident in the move, but at the time, uh, did you feel that confident? Like what kind of uh, struggle did you go through there? Of You know, thinking through a decision like that, where it is such a drastic change um, and really coming to terms with executing that. Cause a lot of people get stuck with that idea of oh, I'll do it in retirement um, and then end up never doing it. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, you know, as an engineer, you, you, you start by looking at it very analytically, right? One part of it was, well, financially, could I afford to do it? Okay, so you use your analytic skills, you, you lay it out, and you, you know, you run the numbers and okay, it seemed to work, right, with some risks, right? Um, and then the other side of it was probably a little more difficult was the uh, kind of personal actualization, you know? Like I wasn't sure, was I that confident enough a person to, you know, let's call it quit a job, not make any real income, be the nanny. I'm gonna, you know, was my, my, my dad from, you know, China who sacrificed everything to come here and say, oh, you decided you don't wanna work anymore, son. Interesting, right? <laughs> uh, I'd have to, <laughs> At the you know face face family pressures right. Uh, I had a very supportive wife and partner, um, so that definitely helped. But sure, the uh, you know second guessing those other aspects was I really going to be happy? What if I was a failure as an artist, right? Uh, what if I didn't have enough self confidence that you know okay now I'm a nobody, right? Um, yeah, those, those became real. Uh, real questions. And I remember the first art class I took when I came out was a portrait drawing class. You know, I hadn't drawn for like eight years. Someone's up there. I draw this thing and it looks horrible. 
And I'm like, I just quit my job, you know, <laughs> six-figure job to do this, right? And I had a moment of like temporary crisis, but you know, I was like, no, no, it's a process. I have to relearn. And you know, I was able to, you know, whatever, draw a person by the end of that class. I was able to do the sculptures to my satisfaction, and I was able to do the art that uh, and i'm getting really excellent feedback on uh now so i think everything turned out but yeah there was definitely a leap of faith great thanks for that question mike others hi andrew Thank, thanks for coming here and uh, giving all the, these insights about your life i had a question about uh, uh one of the jobs that you described and it was about um Correct me if I'm wrong, it was more like uh, consulting on materials and nanomaterials and semiconductors. And although I have a strong technical background in that field, uh, I still feel underconfident into getting that into getting into that uh, field of work of uh, you know doing technical sales or you know technical cons consulting. So I just wanted to get an idea of what is the split like, like how technical you are at your job when you're consulting about materials or semiconductors to other companies and how deep do you go to understand uh, a technology and what are the other aspects of that job? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, as an engineer, you, you feel like you can understand new technologies quite uh, quickly. And that's dangerous because you can make assumptions and really overguess your understanding. And I definitely did that mistake. I think we all did that mistake, even the engineers who were there. Um, it was an electro deposition uh, process. And the mistake I made was, okay, I'm a mechanical engineer. Okay. I definitely, as part of really understanding technology, I should have brought in other electrochemists to get their point of view on it. Okay. So that's probably, um, you know, something, you know, looking back, I probably would have done a little bit differently is like, okay, as, as, as a business person, I'm looking at this, I think I can understand it, but no, I need to get industry specific experience to get their take on the technology, right? Because if someone else, oh, this is just electro deposition. We've been doing this for 20 years. Okay, they've got a different spin on it. Okay, blah, blah, blah. But here's the problems that they're gonna run into. That would have been a really interesting call in the, uh, in the early days, okay? Because a lot of those things came up kind of over time and over talking to people and this learning took years, right? So definitely being overconfident of thinking you understand technology can also be a, a bit of a downfall. I, I think, uh, you know, if you get to a role where you're, you know, part business, part technology, when you're out of your element, right? Um, you know, definitely bring in the, the, the experts, um, get, get that, that, that opinion, because, uh, you know, that could save you quite a lot of time. Great advice. That's Thank a great you. question, though. Yeah. Uh, one more. Might have time for one more. DeAndre. Hi, Andrew. Thank you for sharing your story. Um, you had mentioned about um, pursuing your personal passions after your career, which I guess is what you're sort of doing now, uh, pursuing art, which you seem as though you had an interest in for quite a while. So would you say that your career is done then and now you're pursuing a personal passion or is art your new career? Um, and I guess in addition to that, do you, do you see kind of growing in this um, field of art as a new career or perhaps tying it back to some of your previous experience in like venture capital or consulting um, and marrying those two? I'm just curious as to kind of where you see yourself into the future. Yeah, uh, that's a great question. Thank you. 
Um, yeah, I think I'm done with the corporate life to, to answer that part of the question. Uh, I think my phone didn't ring for two years, but then it did. And then the next logical, you know, do you want to be CEO of a small technology company came up, right? And uh, yeah, I, I looked the guy straight in the eye and said, you know, this is totally what I would have wanted, you know, but I'm going to pursue the art. I'm going to do the family thing. And I do see it as a new career. Um, you know, just folding origami cranes isn't isn't it for me. Um, I, I see using my engineering skills. I want to make large, monumental public art installations one day, right? I figured that the decision I made, you know, gave me another 20 years of an art career than, say, you know, starting art at 65. So I've got enough of a runway now to maybe, you know, get somewhere more aspirational with art than I might have been able to had I started at when I retired. Interesting question. So look out, look around. You'll yeah. see my name up there one day. I just followed you on Instagram. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. And people might have been shy, Andrew, to ask about the money, but I know from listeners of Career Buzz, they always want me to ask about the money. So can you give us a sense over that 18 year career that you had in engineering from the consulting job all the way through to that COO role? What what kind of range of salary and other ways of earning money can you share with us? Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, consulting at the time, uh, you, you start off a pretty steep uh, salary range. I think I, at the time I started at 70, 70,000, which I think a typical engineering job at the time was about 45 to 50. And uh, by the time I got into venture capital, I was around 110. Uh, so it went up quickly. Um, and uh, do you want to know the art salaries? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep going. Let's let's hear that part of the story. Okay, so I definitely would made have made more money had I been a nanny for real. <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, yeah, so I took uh, let's say three years. I didn't make a penny. As a matter of fact, I you know I went to school and then spent money. Uh, the the first year I, I made a sale. Um, I think that year I netted about sorry I sold about thirteen thousand. This year, I'm on track to double it. Um, and that's considered a rocketing art career. <laughs> so, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's, it's uh, people don't get into art for the money. There are artists out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are artists out there who are killing it, who are actually making good money. Okay. And I think the internet has really allowed that. Um, you've heard of people selling NFTs for $26 million. Um, the, the unicorns are out there, um, uh, but your average artist is, is uh, uh, doing it as a hobby, uh, probably. But yeah, I, I'd say within, within five years, I could probably make a, a decent, respectable, you know, average income, to, I, comparable I to had, what I started with engineering. I have had a few um, artists on Career Buzz. One visual artist, uh, a Quebec woman who moved to New York and... You know, she explained how once she started to show in these mm -hmm. well-known galleries, her name became a, at a certain level and then her canvases would be worth, you know, they went from 10,000 a piece to 30,000 a piece. And the art world seems to have a way of kind of framing these amounts that you get for your work based on your experience and your exposure. Right. And she was making excellent money once she hit that level. Um, All right. <laughs> Excellent. I'm almost there. So a few more showings and a few more, a bit more notoriety and we'll, uh, we'll see your pieces command a real great income. 
Hopefully so, yeah. Um, I think we had one more one more question before we wrap up. I just had another question, you know, I mean, I guess looking uh, to the salaries, you touched on it a little bit in making your decision, how you, you know, looked at the financial implications of making that decision and the support from your wife. Um, you mentioned now she has, I guess, that that um, responsibility as, I guess, the, the main um, breadwinner. But I guess I wanted to just um, ask you a little bit more of, about that, like, you know, in terms of you know, your wife kind of shifting to take on that responsibility. Did you guys have to change your lifestyle in any way? Um, and did, did your wife have to change her level of job responsibilities to work more? Uh, I, and I'm, if this is too personal, you don't have to answer all of it, but I was just curious about that because um, I'm also married. I have a spouse and we have kids. So it's, it would be interesting to hear your perspective. Oh, no, no, that's a that's a very important question. Like what I'm doing can only be done uh, in, in a situation of a, of a good sound partnership. Right. And, uh, you know, I was warned early on that, OK, this is good for the first couple of years, but then resentment builds in. OK, you're having fun. I'm humping it at work. And I think the, the key was to ensure that, uh, you know, she was really being self-actualized with her work. You know, one of the reasons I knew that I could, you know, the math kind of worked out is that a lot of doctors really love their work and they don't take early retirement. As a matter of fact, when they get closer to that age, they still work a little bit and their little bit still brings in, you know, decent income, right? So you're not always, uh, you know, trying to hit this big, big number. And as a matter of fact, I've encouraged her to take, you know, less salary and move into jobs that she's more interested in. Uh, right now, uh, she's starting a, a master's and doing a transition uh, to do more teaching. And that has definitely, um, you know, uh, financial implications. But, you know, it was very important uh, for me to be supportive so that we both it's a it's a fair deal for all. Right. Um, that uh, she happens to love her job. That job happens to bring in uh, at the time more money until mine eventually does. Let's, let's put it that way. But uh, yeah, I, th I think it, it's got to be fair um, in, in the way it, uh, it, uh, it works out. And I guess the other thing that we didn't talk about is, um, you know, there, there's, there's your job, but then, you know, the other thing they don't teach you in, in uh, engineering school, and this is probably a different podcast, but is kind of what you do with your money, how you invest it, um, you know, how you, how you save and grow, grow what you've saved. Um, you know, that's something that we've been very active in, and I'm still active in that part. Um, and uh, that's an important part of the equation as well. Hey, I'm glad you asked that question, because we talk a lot about career and life and how these pieces blend and what is personal and what is professional. And the story that you just shared, Andrew, with you and your wife and, and the arrangement that you've come to, I think, is a key part for everybody to consider in their career management. Great. Thanks so much, Andrew Wang, for joining us here on Career Buzz. I really appreciate you sharing your story with uh, the class here and with listeners. Thanks so it much. It was a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck to all of you. Hope you all uh, get to realize your own dreams. Thank you. And dream big. Dream big. That's a big one. <laughs> You've been listening to Career Buzz. Stories show that who you are matters. I'm your host, Mark Franklin. You can find out more about us at careercycles.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email me. It's mark with a K at careercycles.com. Thanks to my guest today, Andrew Wang. Technical production today was by Lucy Welsh. Subscribe to Career Buzz on your favorite podcast app. 
find it at the podcast link on careercycles.com. Catch Career Buzz every Wednesday at 11 a.m. here on CIUT. That's it for today's episode of Career Buzz. Thank you for listening. <laughs>